0: Well, today as we continue in our series in Colossians, it'd be really helpful to have your Bibles open. So Colossians chapter 2, and we're picking up at verse 16, just as Scott has read for us now. And if helpful to you, there's an outline on the back of the news, and there's some translation points there in Korean and Dinka as well. So please, please use that if that's helpful for you. But right now, let's, let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much that you are the giver of all comfort and all help. Pray now please that in your kindness that you would be at work in the power of your spirit that you would enable us to be on guard against counterfeit spirituality and that we would instead delight in the fullness of jesus in whose name we pray amen paul's anxious for the colossian christians he's been strenuously contending for them not only to be rooted and built up in the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, but also that they would not be undermined by that which is false, counterfeit spirituality. They are up to uphold the truth and call out the lies. They are to press into Jesus and guard against that which could dilute their trust in Jesus. So earlier in chapter 2, as we saw last week, in light of rumours and reports circulating of of groups saying to the Colossians that there is something lacking in their spiritual lives, that they need these extra rules or special knowledge or spiritual experience to be legitimate, Paul says, you might remember, "'Do not be deceived. Uh, See to it that no one takes you captive. Remember the fullness that you already have in Jesus.'" You have all that you need in Jesus. I've been really privileged, so privileged over the last week to hear stories from people, from a range of people, who have shared in in light of all that we've been exploring in the letter to the Colossians, that is that they reflect on their life, that it's only as they've grasped the fullness of Jesus that they have been freed from strangleholds that had been constantly gnawing away at them throughout their lives, of of making them feel inadequate. That it was, and is, because of the fullness of Jesus, that they could be freed from rituals or superstitions that had gnawed away from from family or cultural backgrounds that were ingrained in their lives, or onerous rules that had been heaped upon them from other uh, former religious contexts, or spiritual special practices that were pressed upon them as essential in order that they would be elevated into a fuller or deeper form of Christianity. They said in one way or another, it is so liberating, we've got all that we need in Christ. That's what Paul wants the Colossians to understand and to keep working through. And so we see here in really quick succession, uh, continuing in chapter 2, this week, we see: do not let anyone judge you, verse 16, do not let anyone disqualify you, verse 18, and do not submit to the rules of this world. That's verse 20. So do not let anyone judge you, do not let anyone disqualify you, do not submit to the rules of this world. Now, when you you hear that, when you hear that trifecta, it's easy to think, yeah, you tell them, Paul, Uh, no one's going to judge me, Uh, No one is going to trip me up. I am the maker of my own rules. But of course, that's not what Paul is saying. Last week, you may have seen reported, or you may have even uh, watched it and seen, when, uh, when Taylor Swift received an honorary doctorate from New York University just a couple of weeks ago. Now, put aside whatever you think of honorary doctorates or whether or not you think she deserved one. It was amazing to listen and to watch, in her acceptance speech, these words. We are so many things all the time. And I know it can be really overwhelming figuring out who to be and when. Here you are now, and how to act in order to get where you want to go. I have some good news. It's totally up to you. I also have some terrifying news. It's totally up to you. Now, Tay-Tay, she's basically saying, you do you. You are your own meaning maker. You are free, but you're also responsible to define your own meaning and what is right and wrong for you. But when Paul says, do not let anyone judge you, Do not let anyone disqualify you, and don't submit to the rules of the world. He is not saying, you be you. So we need to note that this whole section, we need to note the word with which it begins. So have a look. Chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, that means we need to understand everything he says in light of what has already been told. So we've got to backtrack. Paul is saying, therefore, in light that God God made you alive with Christ, forgave all our sins, cancelled the charge against us, in light of Jesus' triumphant victory on the cross, Jesus is the context and the cause, you have freedom from the super-religious, freedom from the super-spiritual, and freedom for that which lasts. Or to put differently, You're free from empty shadows, headless bodies, and perishing rules. First, in light of Jesus' triumph, we have freedom from the super-religious. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come, the reality however, is found in Christ. When Paul says do not let anyone judge you, this is not merely that other groups had critical opinions of the Colossian Christians, you know, they are a bit judgy of, of the Colossians, but that there were groups who were attesting at the time that the Colossian Christians, who were Gentiles, they were attesting that the Colossian Christians were excluded from belonging to the people of God because they were not fulfilling the law. They were not complying with things forbidden, such as particular food or drink. They were not complying with things required, such as annual, monthly, and weekly celebrations. That's what Paul means and is referring to by religious festivals, New Moon celebration, and the Sabbath. It seems that these religious groups are saying something along the lines of Colossians, unless you refrain from that which is forbidden and do that which is required under the law, not only are you falling short, are you failing in your authenticity as the people of God, but you are not the people of God. So the Colossians here are being condemned. Remember, for the Jews, fulfilling many aspects of the Torah, of what we know as Old Testament law, not only marked them out from other nations, it it made them distinctive, kept them separate, but in doing so, it also marked them in, giving them legitimacy as belonging and being God's people. They can't imagine a scenario in which Jesus alone would be sufficient. Now, it seems that they weren't necessarily against Jesus, but they certainly don't think Jesus is enough. And therefore, if the Colossian Christians truly long to be authentic, rigid people of God, then it is essential that they need to also fulfil all these Jewish practices. That's what's happening here. But of course, uh, this sort of thing still happens today in various forms and in different circles. We've got to be on guard against this. It's a type of gospel plus. It's not necessarily devoid of Jesus. Jesus isn't totally removed from the equation. But the other things in addition to Jesus, well, they are demanded as compulsory, as necessary. So some people might say, well, unless you fulfill this list of rules, unless you do this particular thing, well, you're not a follower of Jesus, not a true follower of Jesus. You might even catch yourself thinking at different times, oh, I'm not really consistent at doing my Bible reading. Uh, Maybe I'm not a Christian at all. It's really legalistic. And of course, it's important to say it's really dangerous. It would be a bit like on Easter Day that if you've ever looked up at the sky on Easter Day or you've seen... You might have seen a report of this when uh, churches might commission for some sky writing to happen in the sky on Easter Day, and you'll see something along the lines of, you know, the cross equals heart. So you see that sort of emblazoned across the sky on Easter Day, meaning that we see God's saving love poured out for us in Christ on the cross. Cross equals heart. You know, what these others are doing is a bit like, instead of having cross equals heart, having cross plus big tick, meaning following all the rules, well, that equals God's love. Now, it's not, of course, that there aren't things as Christians that we should or shouldn't do, or that there aren't practices that really can help us to be rooted and built up in Jesus. But what makes us Christians, what assures us of salvation... Is our trust in Jesus alone don't let people judge you by their additional sets of rules but we also have to be on guard I think against ourselves because often these types of systems in which we can measure our salvation based upon the things that we do on works well they can kind of look attractive they can kind of appeal to our pride but also play on our insecurities. It's a a really dangerous double whammy. They can give us a sense of of purpose, of, of feeling good, or maybe even feeling better than others around us. You know, a gold star for this, a red cross for that. But the problem is that if our hope is even partly dependent upon those things, then they will ultimately crush us. We see that later on in this passage in verse 23 about different forms of ascetic practices in which people would mistreat their bodies uh, to try and restrain them and try to rein in themselves from doing certain things. But, But Paul says, well, this might look wise, but actually it's not because it doesn't treat the problem of the heart. Paul says it's nonsense because all of these things are like chasing shadows. So, no, Paul isn't dismissing the role of these festivals for the Jewish people, nor is he saying that there aren't any rules for Christians. We'll see in the coming section that Paul is going to talk about a whole heap of things that we ought to put to death. There are many good things given by God, but Paul's point is they're pointing to someone else. And to overlay these rules as required in addition to Jesus is ridiculous, because the very purpose of them was to point to and has been fulfilled in him. Or as we can read in Hebrews chapter 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, that is Jesus, not the realities themselves. Adherence to the law will not provide fullness and fulfillment because Jesus is the one in whom we see the fullness of the law fulfilled. They're shadows, they're not the main thing. The law is a shadow of that to come. The reality, or closer to the original language, the substance has arrived in full in Jesus. So think about even at the Passover, as Jesus shared that meal with his friends, recounting the great rescue out of Egypt. Jesus takes the bread and the cup and he says... This has all been fulfilled in me. I'm the one in focus. Following all these things, making them the focus is chasing shadows. It's not real. It would be a bit like when you finally get to see that person whom you've been separated from for the last couple of years because of COVID. You haven't been able to meet up. You haven't been able to travel and see them. And finally, the time arrives when you get to see them. And so imagine uh, you meet them down in the centre of uh, Toowoomba, and as they come up to you, uh, instead of coming up and hugging you, they get down on the ground and they hug your shadow. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? Imagine right now the Lord Jesus standing before you, but instead of pouring out your adoration to the one who is right before your eyes, you settle for the shadow, you settle for mere ceremony instead. When uh, Leonardo da Vinci had finished painting, very famous painting of The the Last Supper, having spent several years completing it, he invited someone over to look at it and, and hear some feedback. And when he invited this person over, they were completely mesmerised by one feature in the painting, by the cup, the cup at the meal. They couldn't take their eyes off it, and they kept describing how beautiful the cup was. And so, so concerned by this, when their friend went away, Leonardo went and painted the cup out. Why? Because he said, Nothing must distract from the figure of Christ. The cup was meant to point to Jesus, not be the main thing. Don't be enslaved in a shadow land of rules. Live in the reality of Jesus who saves. Second, in light of Jesus' triumph, we have freedom from the super-spiritual. Verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Whilst we're not 100% certain of what weird spiritual practices were happening at the time, uh, particularly that with worshipping angels or worshipping alongside angels it seems that certain people or groups at the time were advocating, even insisting that the Colossians were lacking in their spiritual experience. So people may have been saying that, well, in order to be more spiritual, to be super spiritual, like us, well, you just need to adopt this, this particular form of fasting and prayer. And if you do that then that will help get you into a a deeper spiritual state in which you're going to then have some visions. And then when you have those visions, well, that's going to give you access into a superior spiritual realm. That's the sort of thing that was likely going on at the time. But actually, you may have heard of, experienced, or seen things like this before. There's a whole industry of books and websites filled with bogus spiritual practices like this that promise a greater spirituality. Here, people have been may have been so obsessed with angels that they actually ended up worshipping angels. Now, Paul, of course, is not dismissing angels or visions, both of which he experienced. We can read about it in the New Testament but he's absolutely dismissing dodgy spiritual practices that chase a fuller spirituality. The sort of spirituality that leads to one person thinking they're superior, they're puffed up, and it simultaneously diminishes or even dismisses someone else as inferior. Paul says, don't let them disqualify you, meaning... Don't let them act like an umpire calling you out. A bit like them saying, oh, you just need this one more thing, then you'll be a real Christian. You just need to have this deeper spiritual experience, then you'll really be a follower of Jesus. Don't let them act like an umpire calling you out. You know, it's like they're actively changing the parameters of what it means to be a Christian as you're going. Not only are these things not necessary, not only are they not markers of of a fuller spirituality, a deeper spirituality, but chasing them can be dangerous. And when they claim to be essential, they're false. These people are like when you're playing a game with kids, although it doesn't just have to be kids, it could be adults, and they just keep on making up the rules Shifting the goals as you go. Paul says, here's a bit more direct, they're like headless bodies. They're like chickens running around without their heads. Okay? That's, that's the image. They've become disconnected from Christ, who is the head. Verse 19. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow so note the absolute irony here so here these people are they are supposedly wanting to grow in their spirituality but because they're seeking things or making things that are not primary more important than Christ in reality they've actually become disconnected from God who is the only means by which they'll grow It's tragic. It's insidious. It's insidious because it often plays to our desire for superiority or plays on our experience of inferiority, which can cause us to get caught up in all sorts of elaborate, dodgy spiritual practices. I mean, maybe you've experienced that yourself. Perhaps you've chased after things as a bit of a spiritual shortcut or a spiritual top-up. Perhaps you've been made to feel inadequate by the supposedly deeper spiritual experiences of of other Christians around you. And I want to say to you, look out for this stuff. Be alert. It's incredibly dangerous. Over the years, I have lost count of the number of times in which I've I've met with uh, Christians pastorally, who, because they didn't have a particular spiritual gift or hadn't had a particular spiritual experience, that not only were they made to feel that they were lacking, but they were often left to conclude that they didn't have enough faith or they must have some hidden sin or that they must not be trying hard enough or even tragically, that God had somehow let them down. And actually, sometimes, in light of all that, it it even caused them to question the very basis of their confidence in Christ. An elevation and obsession with these sorts of things, it it not only causes a breakdown between us and the head, but because it so often involves creating some sort of spiritual hierarchy, well, it also breaks down the connections with one another. In the new book, Speaking in Tongues, by Tom Tilley, he describes some of his experience of of walking away from his faith, uh, having recounted how growing up in one church as a child, there was both an emphasis on the, the super religious, so an obsession with rules, but also the super spiritual, an obsession with spiritual experience. And he recounts that in that setting, when he was growing up, that if you didn't follow certain rules, then you would be, or you risk dismissal from the church, and that if you didn't have particular spiritual experiences, like speaking in tongues, well, not only could you not be baptised, but they said it also meant that you weren't saved. What would Paul say to that? Don't let anyone judge you with their super religious rules. They're chasing shadows. Don't let anyone disqualify you with their super spiritual practices. The headless bodies. You're free from all of that. For what matters, what is essential, is Jesus. You have a freedom for that which lasts. Verse 20. Since you die with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, Why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. We'll really explore what our freedom is for in the coming weeks as we come into chapter 3. But Paul sets up the premise here that the basis of that freedom right here is all about to whom we belong. Colossians, my dear Colossians, those people around you keep telling you that you need more than Jesus, that you're not part of God's kingdom, that in order to belong you need to obey these rules or have this experience. It's not true. So why do you keep acting like it is? You cannot get freedom from the world. You cannot get freedom from the law. You cannot get freedom from yourself. So why do you keep acting like you do? Why do you keep thinking you need to fulfill the law? Why do you keep thinking that you need a fuller, a richer or deeper spiritual experience. It's like graduating from school and then going back and showing up every day afterwards. It's like imposter syndrome where you think you don't belong. But you do. You can get off the treadmill. You're not lesser. You're not a second-class Christian. You've died with him. His triumph has become your triumph. Paul says, those things might look wise, but they're ultimately powerless. They're just empty shadows and headless bodies. Don't peg your life to that which will not last. Don't be enslaved to them. Because when you've put your trust in Jesus, you're freed for the things that will last. For not only have you died with him, that's what we'll explore in the coming weeks, you have also been raised with him too. If, uh, If you want to keep growing in maturity in Christ, which I hope you do, our mission as a church is making maturing disciples of Jesus, but if you want to keep growing in maturity in Christ, whether you're just starting out or you've been walking with Jesus for years, if you want that which gives you confidence that you belong to him you don't need to chase elaborate rules or deeper spiritual experience you just need Jesus freedom is not found by rules or special experience or even in yourself freedom is found in Jesus I love in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism the very first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. gracious father we thank you so much that we can honestly and earnestly rejoice that we find fullness in jesus alone lord we pray that you would help us in the power of your spirit to be on alert for counterfeit dodgy spiritual practices lord please help us not to get caught up in systems of rules or endless chasing of of supposedly special spiritual experience. Lord, please prevent us from ever creating others to feel like second-class Christians, of ever creating a hierarchy within the body, but that we might keep coming back to you, that we might rejoice that we are saved in Jesus alone, and then accordingly live our lives use the freedom that has been afforded to us for him we pray in jesus name amen